Hi, everyone, and welcome to the Learner's Corner Podcast. This is the podcast for lifelong learners, where we learn from anything and everything. My name is Caleb Mason. And my name is Todd Hicksonball, even though I would still like to have a nickname. We have a great episode for you today. We are going to be joined by the drummer for August Burns Red, Matt Greiner. So, by the way, Caleb, have you you've seen some of these videos of Matt playing? His arms move, his arms and legs move too fast to be allowed. Like it's ridiculous. But Matt is considered to be one of the top drummers, um, kind of in the music world today. Um, he tours all over with his band August Burns Red. And he is one of the original members of the band. Um, And they've been doing this now. They formed the band um, in the early 2000s. They've been touring for this entire time. It's a phenomenal band, by the way. Um, One of our favorites. It's one of our favorites. And if you haven't, you should check them out on Spotify and and, and then go buy some of their music because it's phenomenal. Todd, what's one of your favorite songs? Oh, Mariana's Trench. Mariana's Trench. I'd have to say mine is probably whitewashed. That song is really good, and that comes off of their their new album. Uh, and no, it, it doesn't. Th- I thought it did. No, this is from an album a few years ago. Though oh. so their new album Phantom Anthem is really good too. Oh, whatever. Sorry, Matt. Sorry, guys. Well, anyways, Matt is a phenomenal guy, and the reason why we're wanting to talk to him today is because we were wanting to bring in somebody who is considered to be an expert. Uh, Caleb and I, we love learning, and so we thought, wouldn't it be interesting to talk to somebody who's kind of, in some ways, mastered their craft? Um, even though I'm sure Matt would never would never say that. Um, he's considered to be by many a person who's really mastered his craft. And so we just wanted to learn from him and learn how, through dedication and through all the things that he's done, um, how he kind of has gotten to this level of proficiency as a drummer. And so we're really, really excited to bring this interview to you. Without further ado, we're going to join our conversation with Matt Greiner. Wait, we're so excited to have Matt from August Burns Red on the podcast today, and we're going to be talking with him about um, becoming an expert and really kind of some of the things that he's done to become an expert um, drummer. And so, Matt, we're so excited to have you on today. Thank you for having me. It's an honor to be here. You know, just as we get started, why don't you tell us a little bit about what first got you interested in drums? Hold on, hold on. The first thing that I want to know, man, how do you make your arms and legs move that fast? Well, the one, the one thing to remember here is that none of it is real. <laughs> uh, I pay YouTube a lot of money to speed up all the videos. No, I, it's 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 just a lot of practice. It's a lot of hard work. Um, I. I was drawn to drums since an early age. Actually, before I could even form a word, I was drumming. And I didn't know that until I was like 13 or 14. And um, someone talked to me about drums. And I was like, yeah, I don't know much about them, but I like them. And my mom chimed in. She's like, well, actually, um, Matt was like, you know, hitting pots and pans when he was six months old. And just always had an affinity for stuff like this. and so I, I was just, I don't know, it's just kind of been been natural to me since the beginning. Um, I started playing piano when I was 10 and drumming when I was 14. So it wasn't something I got into until a little bit later. Um, but I used to put in a couple hours a day 
just came down to work ethic for me. Uh, I yeah, I was born and raised on a farm, and so I knew how to work hard and the importance in working hard and not getting paid for your work. Just you work because it's kind of required of you. And I I think that that work ethic transcended into all aspects of my life or most aspects of my life, one of those being drums. So when I sat down to play, I knew it wasn't going to come easily. Um, in fact, the reason I was I was drawn to drumming was because of the challenge. Um, so because of that challenge, I rose to the occasion and said, I want to be good at this. And this is not going to be easy, and it's going to require a lot of time. So sorry, Mom and Dad. I'm sorry I picked the loudest instrument on planet Earth, and that I'm really not good at this instrument, so it's not going to be fun to listen to, at least for a decade. Um, but I, but I want to do this. And um, my, my parents are incredible people. And even though they, they couldn't understand it, um, they respected it. And they saw that it was something that perhaps God had given me to do for myself and, and hopefully for other people. Love that. Do you, do you remember the first time to where, you know, after you started practicing, you realized you were really good? Like, what was the first time to where you were like, oh, man, mm-hmm. I'm, I'm, I'm really good at drums? <laughs> That's a really good question, actually, and I, no one's actually ever asked that question. We've done a lot of interviews. That's a, it's interesting. I like that question. Um, I I actually do remember this. I was playing on stage at a VFW hall. I don't know if you guys have ever heard yes. of a VFW room or hall or building, but it's it's a room that's not usually used for for musical performances. Uh, <laughs> But it turned out to be the best place for us to play shows, you know, early on because we could rent the room out for fifty to one hundred bucks and can make some money on the night. There's plenty of parking. There's a little bit of a makeshift stage. We could bring in a rented PA system and make it happen. And so, so anyway, I was playing. I was probably halfway through the show. And if if you're a part of the, the local music scene, wherever you are when you're listening to this, whether it be in Ohio or another state, uh, city or state, you know that there's a bit of a camaraderie or friendship. That, that happens as a result of the music scene, right? So I like the band Linkin Park. Oh, so do I. That's awesome. Do you like this band? Have you ever heard of this band? So there's this common denominator. Well, in Lancaster at the time, in, in 2004, it was the same way. So I was playing the show, and back behind me was a drummer for another band who I'd become friends with through our, our style of music. And I remember him sitting there, just like his mouth was open, he's just like watching me play. He's, you know, watching my feet move, my arms move, and after the show, he's like, dude, he's like, you just make me want to quit playing drums. I just remember him smiling as he was saying it, just kind of giving me a little bit of a hard time, but I could tell that he was actually impressed. And I hadn't had that experience yet as a drummer. You know, I was new. And I didn't really know how I was doing. I just knew I was doing everything I could and to push myself. And so it was the first time I realized that Okay, here's another drummer. He knows drumming probably better than me. He probably is better than me, but he's looking at what I'm doing, saying, "Wow, that's, that's really cool, and I like what you're doing, and um, and it's impressive to me." And uh, uh, but I'm 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 not the kind of person that has an overly high confidence in myself or my playing um, or in what I'm doing in general. And so um, I always feel the need to push myself even more. I'm 31 years old. I've been doing this for 14 years. I've, I've never felt more driven to work hard at my instrument 
and to be better at my instrument. Where do you think that sense of drive comes for you, Matt? Um, I think some of it is a really good thing. It's a God-given thing. And I think some of it could probably be um, human nature, which is just this desire to do good um, and, and that, that productivity and work ethic makes you feel good about your day. It makes you feel good about your life. Like for me, I have a hard time sitting still. If I sit still for 30 minutes, I feel like a waste of space. So I got to, you know, be out doing stuff and, and at the end of the day, lay down and be actually tired and actually feel like I did something. Um, and I think, I think that there, I think that that's just kind of been ingrained in me and that, that my whole family is that way. I mean, I come from a very hardworking farming family where as soon as the sun was up, you were working. And as soon as it went down, it was time to start thinking about going to bed. Um, and so, yeah, I'm playing drums. I mean, no one else in my family has done this. But like I mentioned earlier, it's, it's still the same sense of, of character. Um, it still applies to all dimensions. And so that's, that, I think, is probably a part of it. Um, it's hereditary. It's human nature. And some of it's probably God-given. Mm-hmm. So tell us, what does challenging yourself look like for you? Uh, okay, so, may, so maybe a pragmatic answer and then not so pragmatic. First of all, I know that my feet need to get faster. There are parts in the new songs that are too hard for me to play. There's a song we have called Quake, and there's these really, really fast 16th notes that I couldn't play in the studio, and we had to actually program them because I couldn't get it. Um, and... So there's two things you can do with that. You either say, well, I'll never be able to do it, um, so we're not going to. Or you say to yourself, I think I can do that, but it's going to take some time. So I'm going to bow my head and clench my fists and actually try. And so I've been working a lot at, at um, you know, developing my feet, and that requires time. So I'll, I usually, my practice time is usually something like I'll start at 7.15 in the morning, a cup of coffee. 7.15 in the morning, I know I'm going to be sitting there playing until 10.15. So it doesn't really matter how much I get done in that time. I have to just dedicate that time. And the reason for that is if you look at it as a, I have to get to this point or I haven't done anything, then you, you always feel underwhelmed with what you've gotten done. But if you set a time amount, say, I'm going to work three hours. No matter what happens as a result, it's, it's, it's still a check mark. You know, it's still a good thing. I found that that's a lot a lot more productive to uh, look at it that way. So it's about three hours there, and then I'm preparing for some stuff coming up uh, where I'll be doing more teaching. So I've been playing to a song by Hillsong Worship called What a Beautiful Name and uh, a couple other solo tracks and then uh, maybe our songs. Just getting things really fine-tuned. Um, now the less pragmatic answer. Challenging myself just means facing my weaknesses. So it's, it's hard to admit where you fall short but but ignoring those things doesn't make you any better off um it's just way better to face what you're bad at and say well it's that's where i'm at today um that's that's trying to work on it <clears throat> then to say ah, i'm not really that bad at anything or ah, my feet are okay at playing double bass well how good is that going to do me at the next show it's not going to make me it's not going to make me any faster that's for sure just ignoring the the bottom line. So 
I, I didn't used to operate that way. I used to kind of ignore things probably a decade ago, but you know, over time I realized that um, it wasn't helping me or anybody else. Is there anything in particular you do to like identify, you know, the areas to where you need to work on, or is it just a matter of, you know, you just get in your routines and then over time you just begin to notice what you need to work on? Yeah. I'd say I get into my routines and I realize that there's some things I need to work on as far as drumming. Yeah, it, it's mm -hmm. it's not hard to see. When it's something that you do 10 hours a week, you know, on tour and 20 hours a week when you're home, it's it's pretty easy to see where you need help. <laughs> um, it, yeah. it might not be hard for anyone else to see, but it's but it's easy on this end. So Talk, you know, one of the things that I'm sure that you've had to do to get into the level that you've had to do is you've had to sacrifice a lot of things. So talk to us about, you know, the importance of sacrifice as it concerns, you know, getting getting to where you want to be and like mastering your craft. Mm -hmm. That's a great question. Uh, and yeah, Warren's kind of a hard answer, I think. It's, I've always looked at, drumming as something um how do i put this i think i think it'd be pretty easy to find one thing that everybody has that when they're doing it when it's a part of their life or a part of their day or um they're involved in it that they feel like they're exactly where they're supposed to be so for example some people are pastors and there are things about being a pastor that are difficult for them, but they know when they are on stage and they're presenting information from the word, they don't speak anything else. That's great. That's a great thing. They're where they're supposed to be. That's the way drumming is for me. Um, it's, it requires sacrifice. To pursue that thing, um, I believe people in ministry, people that are serving God and serving people in a pastoral way, uh, kind of have a bullseye on their back. Um, like Satan wants to take them down more than, you know, maybe more than the other person. Um, that's a big sacrifice. You're willing to put your family through that. You're willing to hold yourself to a higher standard and and be above reproach. Um, and drumming and touring sacrifices obviously time away from home. So uh, we'll leave home June, uh, January 4th. We'll get home February 24th, you know. So I'm, so I'm going for five or six weeks there. Well, that's, that's time that I'm away from my family and, and time away from home. That's sacrifice. Um, so you need to know how to prioritize the things that are important to you. So what's more important, your job or your family? Well, obviously, your family. What's more important, um, your family or uh, your hobbies? Obviously, your family. So you live your life based on those priorities. Uh, and as long as you keep those things in check, you'll be fine. I love that. Talk, talk to us about, you know, managing that tension. So, like, whenever... Whenever you're new, you know you're getting ready to go on tour. Is there something that you like? Maybe you do to kind of show your family that they are the priority, either before or afterwards, before hmm. or after you go on tour. You would make a good touring musician. That's that's an intuitive thought right there that a lot of people miss. <laughs> um, 
You just Absolutely. made Caleb's day. Holy cow. <laughs> Pick up an instrument. Get started. We have, but just so you know, neither of us have any musical ability whatsoever. So for you to say that, Caleb's like on cloud nine right now. <laughs> <laughs> hey, motivational speaker in between dance. Um, there we go. Hey. Yeah, it, it's, it's, um, yeah. I mean, absolutely. Like, I, I heard recently, uh, two, two, two or three weeks ago, I was listening to talk show radio, and there was a person that called in and they said, you know what's funny? My dad, my dad, I have these memories of, of spending time with my dad, and, and um, you know, I thought, oh my gosh, he used to take me, um, he used to take me to this hockey game, and it was just so much fun. We used to do it, you know, practically all the time. It was amazing. And then he said he realized when he actually thought about it, it didn't happen all the time. It didn't happen often. It hardly ever happened. Actually, in fact, it probably only happened once, but it happened. And when it happened, he felt like he was the most important person in the world. And so it's it's not a matter of quantity. It's a matter of quality. Um, you're willing to show the people in your life that they really matter to you. It doesn't matter that you're not there with them every day. The days that you're with them, if if they really do feel that way, they really feel like they're number one. And it's okay to miss seven days and only hit one. Um, it's okay. It doesn't happen all the time. If you think about the memories in your life, things that you remember about your parents or grandparents or loved ones that aren't here anymore, you have great memories of being with them, and it and they're probably you know larger than life um, if they actually cared about you. The circumstance probably wasn't all that unbelievable. It didn't happen all that frequently. But if you have good memories of that person, if they had you at, you know, number one, uh, it kind of embellished the whole thing and exaggerated the whole memory. So that's why I try to keep in mind when I'm leaving for tours, like, okay, I need to prioritize some time. We just got done with band practice. I have a couple hours here tonight. I could actually practice some more. I could spend some more time um, you know, wrapping up loose ends, like, hey, I kind of want to wash my car and put it in the garage before I leave for five weeks so it's clean when I come back. Those are things I'm thinking about, but you have to take care of the people in your life first before you go and do that. What are some of the what, what, let's go back to whenever you were first um, starting drums. So what what were some of the daily habits that you did to become really good at drums? Yeah. I at the time I was working landscaping. I was probably putting in about 50 hours a week. If it was spring or summer or fall, we were planting, harvesting, or planting again. Um, you say so you plant in the spring, you harvest in the summer and fall. We do cash crops. So we do corn, soybeans, and wheat. So if you're not planting or harvesting, you're fixing equipment. So there was you know, there's time at night or in the morning, yeah, typically at night when we were working on the farm. So any free time I had, I was practicing. I remember, I didn't have a lot of dates, but I remember turning down a couple because I was like, sorry, I have a show coming up next Friday and I need to get really, really good for it. Or we're recording our new CD in Reading in three months and I still want to get these drum parts down. Um, so it was almost like if you've ever been to Lancaster County or you've ever been around a, a horse, uh, that like a guided horse, you see their blinders. And they have these... Um, you know, square surfaces to the left and right of their eyes keeps them, you know, on the path. 
they're, they're not distracted or deferred by anything that they're passing by. They're just, you know, looking straight ahead. That's, that's kind of the way I, I always thought God had designed me, uh, and put drums, you know, on my horizon. I was just, I say focused on it. Um, didn't, didn't get messed up in drugs or alcohol. Um, just was very set on drumming and the pursuit of drumming. Um, and so uh, anytime I had, I would sit down, pick up a pair of sticks, and I would play. I wouldn't play the music. I wouldn't play to a click track necessarily. I would play to the to the guitar riffs that JD was coming up with, or I would just practice drum beats that I knew what they sounded like but couldn't actually perform. I love that. <laughs> so what? I you know as we were thinking of what we wanted to ask you, you know, one of the things that I think Todd and I were most curious about is what does feedback look like for you? Because there's probably not a lot of people who um, who think that they can give you feedback because you're so good at your skill. Hmm. Yeah, well, when I think of feedback, I think of criticism. That's the first thing that comes to my mind. And I think <laughs> I think it, it comes on the on the heels of this constant conversation that our our fans are trying to have with us, or people are trying to have with each other. Um, and I I see it as this. I mean, there it's there are people who spend they're if they're awake for twelve hours, say they wake up at seven and they go to let's say they wake up at nine and they go to bed at nine. It's called twelve hours. Um, it said they spent ten hours of that twelve hours on their phone or on their computer. I don't think it, I don't think you'd be too hard pressed to find, you know, find people like that. And so their conversation, most of their conversations, actually going on inside their head, right? I mean, they're not actually having a verbal conversation with anyone. It's it's this mm -hmm. uh, interior conversation that's happening. And so, and a lot of times, the way that they express that conversation is through their their thumb and their fingers as they type comments. So, so there's this sort of um, comment section feedback or criticism, and then there is this well-thought-out premeditated criticism where it's, it's usually quite a bit more credible. I had – someone could say I'm the ugliest person in the world or say I'm the most attractive. Someone could say I'm the best or the worst. It, it wouldn't faze me at all on my Instagram or my Facebook or my Twitter. It just doesn't matter. Because as I know times in the past where uh, things weren't as easy, like it wasn't as easy to, to leave those sort of comments 10 years ago. It's just harder to use social media, harder to get um, you know older people. And, and, and I would occasionally run into people who had sent me an email, kind of a nasty email, or said something kind of nasty. I'd run into them. I'd remember them. And I was, and I'd be standing there talking to them, looking them square in the eyes, and I realized this person doesn't mean that. In fact, we're standing here talking, having a civil conversation. They, you know, maybe they are faking this conversation, but deep down, it doesn't really change their perception of me or my perception of myself. It's just, it's, it's cheap. It's just cheap words. <laughs> and so you just you you learn how to interpret feedback over the years now if you think about your own life if you're listening to this who do you really change for 
I mean, who would you legitimately change things in your life for? If someone said, ah, I'm a little concerned about you, um, you're, you're doing a lot of drinking, and I, I feel like it's really affecting you, um, or hey, you know, I realize you're working your butt off and you're not taking any time for your loved ones, who would you really make changes in your life for? Changes that are going to hurt and are easy to do. People, people, people rarely, really, really change for somebody else. It's it's usually, in my experience, a heart change that um, from which there is real change in someone's life. And even then, it's extremely hard. Um, and so, in my life, it'd be people like my dad, my mom, my brother, my sister, um, maybe a few friends, but I mean close friends, people that I respect, people that don't say a whole lot, but they do a lot. They actually, their actions really follow what they, you know, what they believe. Um, and so think about that as you interpret feedback. How, how would you interpret feedback um, if it was coming from people you didn't know or you didn't respect or you knew it was just a, a cheap thing to say? How about... The, on the constructive feedback. You know, you're looking to improve on, on your drumming skills. What does that look like for you? Yeah, well, I think you're always your, your harshest critic, right? I mean, you, you hold yourself to the highest standard. Um, and so I know where I need to get better, and that's what I'm going to do. I'm not doing it because anyone else is asking me to. Um, I'm doing it because I... I I almost feel like, in a way, I've been given this responsibility, and it's mine to bear. Um, if you're really good at something, there's a good chance that it's it's not something that you can take all that much credit for. I mean, I know I've worked hard for this, but there have just been way too many opportunities to like for me to call it my own. And so, once you realize that, you say, "Well, wow." I shouldn't take this lightly. You know, this is a big deal. And if this were handed to someone else and they stomped on it and, you know, trashed it, that would kind of be disrespectful and a disgrace. I don't want to do that. Um, so that's certainly one way to look at it. I think what I usually, the way I usually approach it, though, is I want to do the best I can with what, what I've been given. And I know I won't be doing this forever. I'm 31. I was doing it at 21. I wasn't doing it at 11. So there's a time and a place for this. So while I'm still able to do it, um, I'm gonna see how far I can get with it. And so, so that's the thought process, right? And then you say to yourself, now I have to actually see some action. That's the hard part. And that's, that's, the, that's a couple hours a day. When you don't feel like doing it, when the door's shut, and you're actually, you know, when it's rubber meets the road, that's, that's what makes somebody real. Um, same thing with a Christian. You know, it's, it's not someone who's blabbing on about how much they love God. It's, it's what happens when the doors close and there's no one else around them. That's what's that. That's what um, it says in Matthew. You know, don't don't be don't be like those people. You know, those people referring to people who are just out in public, just showing off. You know, you probably aren't even going to know who um, right who are legitimate in their faith because it's 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 personal to them. It's real to them. Um, it's it's not for the glory of anybody else. 
And so that, it, it's kind of weird, but in a sense, that's the way drumming is for me. It's people see the, the product, but they never really see the work. Um, and, and that's, that's the way it is for every great athlete. That's the way it is for every great musician. You aren't going to see the time it took. Um, maybe you will with social media and stuff, bitsy pieces, but you certainly won't capture everything. Sure. Mm-hmm. I, I get the sense from you, Matt, that even if you weren't in August Burns Red, you'd probably still be playing drums, one or two. Yeah, I think yeah. you're right. <laughs> <laughs> I think you're right. Talk, 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 to us, talk to us about just, you know, you know, some some people, you know, they probably say, "Man, man, he's he's an he's an August Burns Red," and they think, "Man, I want like I want to be that. I want to be what he has." But talk to us about like doing what you do simply for the sake of just loving it and the importance of that of doing what you love. Hmm. Well, yeah. Okay. So um, I'll do my best at this. My younger brother Jesse. Is a he's going to be a nurse practitioner. <coughs> so him and I have very different jobs. And I'll ask him, <laughs> what do people say when they're <laughs> Yes you, know, you what do. What do people say when when they're in your care, you know, they're they're not there's is um they don't have a job anymore. Um they're really just waiting to die in a sense. I don't know what it is. And, and so you're taking care of them. You're overseeing their care. What kind of conversation do you have with them? And he says what every book will say. He says what everyone will agree on, which is it really doesn't matter how much time you spend at the office. It does not matter how much you accomplished. It matters. Oh, I mean, yeah, it matters only really how your relationships, um, how well they were balanced and how well you treated people. And I mean, who's really standing <coughs> by your side? Um, and I, I mean, how could that not be true? It's like you talk to, I mean, even in your own experiences, you're listening to this, think of the things you've accomplished, no matter how great they've been. They all have an end. And you, unless you're the greatest, and even then, maybe not, uh, you're not going to be remembered <laughs> in the history books. So what is it? all for what's the purpose of it i mean if i become the the world's greatest drummer right i'll have that award it's going to be on wikipedia now i'm 90 i can't play drums anymore but yeah i was the world's greatest drummer well there will be another one and he will be better um and that'll just take over right and then i'm gone and that's it but if i'm 90 i know me well enough to know at 31 that that's not going to do it it's not going to do it to say Man, I'm the greatest drummer. That's that's not really going to touch on the deepest part of who I am. It's not going to help all that much when I'm, you know, when I'm looking back on my life. So what is going to help? What's going to hit the nerve? Well, think about it. The people you love, the people that love you. The people that you understand, the people that understand you. Uh, Jesus. Think of the fact that he died on the cross thinking of you. That in a second, without any work at all. It hits that nerve. I can be practicing a paradiddle at 215 beats per minute for the rest of my life, and I might be able to do it next year, but that's that's not going to hit the nerve the same way. Even after all that work and even after all that accreditation, it's not going to help. Um, and so I try to keep that in mind. And, and it's 
for me personally, I used to have a stuttering problem. And so whenever I run into people, like I ran into a guy today actually who was stuttering. And it's so, it's so interesting when I talk to somebody who is like that, who has that, it just goes, goes straight through me. Um, because I can relate. And I think the, the same thing is true, you know, with music a lot of times. People hear our music and they read the lyrics and it just hits that nerve. That's the real importance. Um, those conversations that happen or just, just the fact that they heard our song, they, they you know, never talked to us about it ever, but the fact that it happened. Um, I think that's the long-lasting part of it. So, so I talked to Jesse, my younger brother, about it. Funny, I always used to, to say he would go to work in the morning and I'd be at home and, and I'd say, all right, buddy. And say, you're doing ministry, I'm doing ministry. They're both very different from each other. People that are moshing on the dance floor for us are eventually going to be in your care in the hospital. <laughs> and, and and so we were kind of laughing about it, but part of it is is somewhat factual. Like they, they could actually end up in his care after leaving one of our shows. Uh, who, who do you look to for inspiration, Matt? Like, who's the drummer that you're thinking, who do you learn from? Yeah, we're gonna walk the I don't really have any. I don't really have any drummers that I I look to um, as inspiration. I like, of course, I have favorite drummers. I love Aaron Spears. He used to play for Usher. Now it's Ariana Grande and Lady Gaga. Um, great guy. Loves God. Amazing player and works hard. But when I when I think of being inspired, I, I I think of it might sound funny, but I think of my friends who are, who work blue collar jobs at home, and I think of how that translates into what I'm doing. For example, I have a buddy who works his butt off. He's he's up at three a.m. He's at work at three forty-five. He runs a business. He works so about four every day. Goes home, spends time with his family every night. I mean, that's his life. Um, and he doesn't make a whole lot of money. But when I think about going on stage, when I'm thinking about, okay, what's really going to pump me up for this? Or what's going to pump me up to practice in a day? It's not people doing the same thing I'm doing. It's people doing much harder work for much less. That's what gets me going. Because now I'm thinking, oh, my gosh, this is incredible that I have this opportunity to do this. When, by contrast, it could be this. You know, Not that that's all that bad. It's a great thing, too, <laughs> but it's... It's um, that's inspiring to me more than like, wow, I want to be this good and this successful and this well well known. So I'm going to work to get there. That doesn't really do all that much for me. Um, it does a lot more to think about something completely outside of that box. What's what's one or two things that you've learned about yourself while being in the band, August Bird's Red? Uh, yeah. Well, yeah. <laughs> One thing is I'm a lot more judgmental than I thought I was. Um, I actually learned that. I learned that. I've been learning that while listening to a guy named Dr. Tim Keller. I used to listen to him a lot. And he's, he's a very fair person, a lot more fair than I am in, in how he talks about you know, people. But you go all around the world and travel a lot and you get to meet a, a lot of people, a lot of different faiths and religions. And I'm Glad that I'm not God, because I don't know how he has the, yeah. the time or patience or grace for 
the kind of stuff that people do, you know? Um, and I, I'd say secondly, I, I'm a compassionate person. I think I figured that out in this band. I, I like, I like people and I, and I see the best in them. Um, and that's probably been a, a motivating factor in this band for me. It's just, I like meeting people. I, mean, I don't, I don't always like meeting people. I don't always like meeting new people, but, um, but I think that some, it, it's that few instances like this morning when I ran into that guy who stuttered, it's like, there's something about that that is, is powerful because you get to, uh, um, you get to see and and somebody else, the same struggle you know, really, that you went through. And it's like, I know what that's like. It's not fun. It's not easy, you know. It's tough. And then you get to smile and talk and, it's, you know, laugh a little bit. So, yeah, I would say judgmental and compassionate. Just as we're getting ready to wrap up, one question that we always love to end our interviews with, Matt, is just what are you learning right now? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Good question. Um, um, yeah, that's a really good question. It's a hard question. I, I think, I think, I think you're always learning bits and pieces about yourself and, and everything. It's just kind of based on what life throws at you. Um, it seems like, it seems like when life gets tough, my tendency isn't to do what um, I should do, which is talk to God and pray. I think I do a bad job of that. So I think I think I'm learning that when 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 things get tough in life, um, it's it's important to talk to God, just like when things are good in life. And face it, for most of my life, things have been pretty good. For most of our lives, for most of all of our lives, things have been pretty good. There, you know, there are bits and pieces there where things stink, but um. I think there's a lot of importance in just thanking God and being great and being thankful for the things that we have and don't have. And I, I think, uh, you know, I'm learning how to do that all the time. Um, it's, it's kind of easy to get, you know, it, it's, it's easy to just kind of go with flow. Um, so that's why sometimes I think there's, there's some, you know, tough stuff that, that stands up in my life and, and, you know, gets in my way and makes you, sit back and realize, oh boy, like, uh, how did I get here and, and where do I go next? And then you start talking to God because you need help, you know. But then I'll to, to continue that conversation once um, you get going again. Mm-hmm. I love that. Matt, if people want to, you know, find you or learn more from you, you guys, um, for August 23rd, you guys are getting ready to go on tour right now. How can yeah. they do that or where can they find you? Yeah, not, so, not where the police, um, not where the fire engine is. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. The Los Angeles Fire Department saved us once before here at the Grammys, actually, right here. I'm sorry, very close wait, by. Wait, they saved you? Yeah, we were stuck in an elevator. Okay, you got you got to tell this story before we add. This is a pretty wild story, I will admit. It's. I followed the Los Angeles Fire Department on my Instagram because of this story. Um, <laughs> there were a bunch of us who got on an elevator and it was overweight, and we were headed, yeah, we were headed to the red carpet at the Grammys. 
But so everyone was dressed up. The hot day. Overloaded the elevator and it just stopped. Uh, I was annoyed, thankfully. But I heard screaming and yelling and then by a process of deduction, we figured out, holy cow. Most of, of the band and significant others are on that elevator and are stuck. It's not moving. And we came, I, I came to realize that there's a, a um, well, anyway, there's a safety mechanism that engages on an elevator. As soon as it realizes that, that this isn't safe, it just, it's a break. It's an emergency break, essentially. And the only way to really offset this thing is to call the fire department and get them to come in and reset it. And so the Los Angeles Fire Department was called 15 minutes before we were supposed to be on the red carpet. At the Grammys, the fire department came and they got him out. And we then got pictures with them outside of the hotel. We were all laughing about it. They're like, holy cow, you guys are actually going to the Grammys. That's, that's insane. We're like, yeah, this is insane. Thank you for getting us out of the elevator. Would you mind taking us in your fire truck? And so we all hopped in and drove to the red carpet in the Los Angeles Fire Department <laughs> trucks. There were multiple. We put on the helmets and the mics, and we pulled up and got as close as we could, got out and high-fived them, and went on our way. <laughs> that's got to be one of the Man. most epic ways to show up to the to the Grammys ever. That's that's exactly right. We walked up the red carpet like, well, that it doesn't matter what happens from here on out. We can lose this nomination. Who cares? Um, we were just stuck on an elevator. <laughs> uh, yeah, if if, if People want to reach me. Uh, they can go to macgrinderlessons.com. I'll be teaching in Asia actually next month, doing a two and a half week tour over there. January we leave for the Phantom Anthem tour. Um, but yeah, head to the website. My contact information's on there. Yeah. Great. Well, thanks so much for joining us today, Matt. Caleb, what did you learn coming out of that interview? One of the things I learned from our conversation with Matt was just the importance of continuing to challenge yourself, even whenever you're considered to be one of the best at what you do. One of the things that really stood out to me was, you know, as they were recording their new album, you know, they, they for the song Quake, you know, the part that he needed to play, he wasn't getting the speak quite fast enough. So they digitally put in, you know, part of the drums in there. But the problem is, is that, you know, they have to go out on tour with the song eventually. And so Matt had to continue to prepare himself to continue to challenge himself and train himself so that his feet could get fast enough to play the song. And, you know, I think it's, I think sometimes it can be easy whenever we're at the top of our game. We get that thing, you know what? No one's going to get, no one may touch us. Nobody may be able to ever beat us. But Matt doesn't have that attitude. He has the attitude of continuing to improve even whenever he could find reasons not to. Right. And for me, I just think about his dedication. Uh, one of the things that that he talked about was how he actually turned down some dates um, when he was a teenager, just because he was practicing for for an upcoming show. And just you know, as a teenager, especially as a teenage guy, you know, just thinking, oh my gosh, why did you do that? Right? And it's just like it's so antithetical, I guess, to what I would have thought as a teenager. Don't judge me, Caleb. And uh, his, his dedication just is what show was just shining through to me. And so it was just really impactful to hear, you know, the dedication. And then now he talks about how um, 
you know, he spends, you know, probably five, six, seven hours a day still practicing, whether it's practicing in band practice uh, or in the mornings, just just practicing to get better. Like you were talking about making, getting his feet faster or whatever it is, you know, just practicing to, to get a little bit, just to get a little bit better. I thought it was really, really interesting to hear about just the dedication he had. The other thing that stood out to me is just his level of humility. Right. He, he definitely was a person who's going, you know, yeah, I don't think I'm the best. Um, even though, by the way, many people consider him to be one of the best. Now, if you enjoyed this episode of the First Corner Podcast, be sure not to miss our next episode. And the way that you can make sure that you don't miss our next episode is by subscribing to our podcast on whatever podcast player you use, whether it's Google Play, iTunes, Stitcher, or whatever it may be. You can let us know what you learned from this episode by hitting us up on our social media platforms, either on Instagram or Twitter or on Facebook, or just let us know what you're currently learning right now, whether it be from a podcast or from a book or whatever it may be. Let us know what you're learning. We always love to learn from you, and hopefully you can learn a little bit from us as well. Also, if this podcast has helped you in any way, leave us a rating and write a review of our podcast on iTunes. It's one of the best ways you can show us your appreciation and kind of what you're learning and how we can continue to prove as well. And until next time, keep learning and keep growing. Deuces, y'all.